service to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Hi, Adam. Ben, I uh, I was bit by my dog before I got on the mic today. What the heck? Does your dog ever bite you? When I'm roughhousing with him, sometimes he'll have his mouth open and I'll, I'll encounter some, uh, you know, incidental tooth contact, but... I'm the only person he does that with. Mm. Like he doesn't even do that with my wife, mm. and he doesn't ever do it in a way that would seem like an angry thing. Did you get? Did you get an angry bite? No, no. I would say that the uh, the quarantine affects everyone a little differently. <laughs> and there is a there's a long standing game that my dog plays with me that I don't know the rules to. <laughs> and the game goes something like. Adam is about to go do a thing that necessitates a goodbye of some kind to his wife. A goodbye Uh that can involve an embrace or a little smooch or whatever. But the point is, I'm leaving and and I'm giving some sort of affection to my wife before I do that. My dog hates this. Hates it so much. That that he will he'll see this happening before it happens. He'll see me like going for the approach. He somehow yeah. is able to recognize through my walk or my attitude that I'm about to go, and I'm about to go for yeah. a while. And he, he doesn't want you to leave. He loves you, <laughs> and so he'll go in and and like and like do a little a little bite and his tail is wagging, <laughs> but he most definitely is biting me. And it's wow. not like my dog, you and I have talked about. My dog is a medium mouth. He's he's not a bird dog. He's yeah. he will crush a bird if he has one in there. And so <laughs> it is a not insignificant little bite he gives me every time. <laughs> and I don't have the heart to like I don't have the heart to discipline him in a in a stern way, in a way that a person who has a dog that bites them occasionally should probably do (laughs) because I think it's fucking cute is my problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's cute. It sounds really cute. Yeah. Anyway, I'm Uh, fine. It didn't break the skin. It never does, but I was, I was just bitten. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I will occasionally, if I go to embrace my wife, find that my dog like makes a beeline from across the house to, to like bark at us, yeah, like unhand her, you devil, kind of a kind of a thing. Is this a reincarnation thing? Like, is this our wives' future husbands? <laughs> like, they have died because you know time is is linear. Like mm. we're on we're on this thing. There's no getting off. So right. in the deep deep distance, we've got after our eventual deaths we have their new husbands and then their eventual deaths and that husband comes back in time becomes right. our dog time has no meaning to the prophets right uh i don't know man that's <laughs> probably just, not it they're just weird little beasts that are that's a very you know, jazz gummy thing of me to say yeah they've they've uh they've co-evolved with us for tens of thousands of years to to be socially acceptable companions except for they come from a completely different species, so they miss a lot of cues. <laughs> We've bred out 
most of the traits that we find undesirable except jealousy for some reason. <laughs> jealousy stays. Yeah, jealousy, you can stay. <laughs> uh, Adam, I I, uh, I happened to have a have some business at the post office, so I I braved the post office and speaking of dogs, a dog's best friend. <laughs> and I, I I rifled our PO box while I was there. I've got a couple of things to open up. Uh, do you uh, have any interest in a little bit of a mail call? I think it's been a long-standing rule. Anytime anyone sends us something, we open it on the show. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code forty-seven. Verify. It is code forty-seven, sir. Start lead emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. All right. First thing. It is a flat pack, and it is from Threadless. So I'm guessing a uh, a T-shirt. It's too flat to be a T-shirt. All right, let's see what this thing is. I mean, it could be a f- very flat T-shirt. This is... Oh, wow. <laughs> this... I think I know who made this. This is a little... Oh, this, awesome. Th- this is Chef Jonathan Frakes doing the It's a Gouda show. Uh, <laughs> this could be, this is, th- there could be a pizza box of this Chef Jonathan Frakes. Oh, that's, uh, that's a free wharf mourn print. Philippe Sobriero's work, right? Yeah. Uh, two, two beautiful art prints from our, our buddy Felipe uh, in Brazil, I believe. Yeah. And uh, boy, boy, that guy's talented. He's great. I'm gonna send these right back out for framing. One for you, one for me, buddy. Excellent. I would uh, like that very much. I really like his work. Yeah, he's a super talented illustrator, and he's like a comic book artist too, I believe. Felipe's got a web store at Threadless that I I feel obligated to to pimp now. <laughs> I think among his new products on the web store are uh, are a series of masks. Uh, masks, of course, uh, a a necessity at this point. Oh, nice! In these in these times, uh, have you seen these, Ben? No. So you have your choice of four masks. We have a Stallone, <laughs> an Arnold Schwarzenegger, a Clint Eastwood, and a Charles Brunson. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is like right up your alley. I've got to send this link to you. I I mean. I, I believe that the Bronson mask has a customer of one, and that customer is me. Uh, you can also get this Three Wharf Morn there, uh, as well as the Papa Riker's Pizza thing. You can get that emblazoned on uh, anything. That's how the Threadless works. So, oh, man. These masks uh, are great. Yeah. <laughs> I've been having a fun time making toothy faces at people under my mask that they don't know I'm making. Something happened to me on a dog walk where I, I realized that when you when you pass a stranger without a mask, there is frequently a much more diminished kind of like greeting to us a random. Yeah, like yeah. often in the often in the form of a like minis up. <laughs> but when you're wearing a mask, you need to gesticulate. Yeah, you have to you have to that. wave you have or to, you have to like you have to get really big. Yeah. Yeah. With that. And I had to do that today. In the Expanse, the television show and in the novels, uh even more so than the show, I think, the the belters, the people that like have lived mm-hmm. in space and and grown up in space their whole lives, they have a lot more like 
sign language that is naturally part of their interaction because so much of their lives they spend in spacesuits, like uh-huh. outside the ship and unable to communicate with grins and nods. I've only seen uh, bits and pieces of that show, but I really like what I see. I, uh, I like it's that one show of the good shows, right? Yeah, I think that uh, it's it, it gets better and better as a show, and the novels get worse and worse. <laughs> that is not usually how it goes, right? Yeah, well, the, the novels, there are like a zillion of them now. There, I think there's like eight or ten of the novels. And something I found out recently is that the novels are essentially adapted from a a tabletop role-playing game. It's a series of novels where, like, so much changes over the course of them. It's kind of unlike anything I've Is Thomas Jane the constant? He's in the whole thing, right? Or does he die? He is kind of a ghost guy after a little while and i right. don't know I, don't, I think i think that character may may get eliminated at some point but i can't remember um all right this is another one that also says threadless on it it says connor threadless from riverside As in, that's his name i don't know if i don't know if that's his name or is it the ceo of the threadless company <laughs> it looks like a bag of prescription comes in yeah it does Oh my god! <laughs> it's one of Felipe's. Uh, this is the Bronson face mask, oh I believe. Oh my god! Oh, there's a second one. Did I just secret your your mail run? <laughs> <laughs> there's a Stallone and a Bronson here. And wow! I think these have to go to you. I they have to go to me because you would refuse to wear either of them, right? <laughs> I would wear those. I I think I would probably wear the the Eastwood or the Arnold personally, but uh, wow. I'm gonna have to order them. I mean, Eastwood's politics most uh, neatly align with yours, <laughs> so I I would get that. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm probably the most pro empty chair person on this podcast. Right. right. <laughs> If Felipe made a Kyle McLaughlin mask, people would think I just wasn't wearing a mask. That'd be, that'd be trouble <laughs> if I were to be out in public. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would look like nothing to people. Uh, <laughs> last one here is a, uh, a flat Hey, manila. we got to thank whoever that was. Who was that again? I think it must have been Felipe that sent it. You think it was Felipe again? There's, there is no note in these. Okay. Uh, if it was Felipe, then uh, then thank you very much. Great friend of the show. Last one is a flat manila envelope from Bree and Bradley Belky. Bree is one of the best friends of DeSoto. She really is. Bree's level of fandom is such that she has her own custom envelope closure sticker with her name on it that says Live Long and Prosper. <sighs> That's awesome. Yeah. That is that is above and beyond. That is beyond the rim of the starlight. Bree's a real like bright, shiny star of of being a fan of a thing in a way that I really appreciate. Like yeah. uh, she really cuts through the cynical bullshit in the world in a way that uh, that I wish I was more like from God, time to time. She has an aspirational kind of enthusiasm. Yeah. There is a note. Uh, Dear Ben and Adam, I came across this amazing fanzine on eBay while meandering the internet while in isolation. This fanzine is an adult fanfic novella about the love of Data and Tasha Yar. The illustrations delighted me, and I knew it had to become part of your slightly embarrassed collection. Uh, 
keep up the awesome job. Hopefully, hooves in the future. Oh, man. That's one of the things keeping me going, is the I, idea of a hoof with Brie Belke. That is, that is indeed. This is kind of a... Please, Jackie and Lori, me. <laughs> Some of those, oh my god. <laughs> All right. I gotta get, out, gotta get out my phone. This this has a very bodice rippery cover of Data about to lay one on Tasha with Q looking on, most disgusted in the background. Do you think Q has seen everything? Like, what could possibly disgust him? <laughs> This is a. This is not as. I kind of thought that this was going to be a comic book, but it is a full. I mean, it's 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 dense text. It's pages and pages of dense text. It's a it's a story, Adam. It's a. I'm, I'm going to send you some of the. There are a few pages that are full page illustrations, and they are incredible. I'm going to send that them was, to you. You know, when you were flipping through that book, that was not what I was expecting to see. <laughs> you thought there would be a lot more uh, throbbing android boners? Yeah. Yeah. Piston-like <laughs> golden bones. Wow. This is amazing. Uh, Roberta DeBono, the author of this, has written a whole series of these of these stories. <laughs> That are all available for for purchase uh, from Ankh Press in in the back. And oh, it looks like Ankh Press is in Alameda, California, one one town over from my uh, my hometown of Oakland. Looks like uh, yeah, there's one about uh, maybe like this may be uh, Counselor Troy, and I want to say that's Khan from uh, from Star Trek Two that she's smooching. Oh no, it's the handsome king of Zoral, the planet, a planet which combines 24th century technology with a barbaric culture. So that's real bodice rippery. This is great. Boy, the number of romantic directions you can take these characters in is, is truly <laughs> magnificent. How about this one? A joy postponed. Captain Picard, Beverly Crusher, and the battle bridge crew of the Enterprise are lured into the mysterious zone of darkness where an alien power forces them to act out their fantasies in a terrifying drama of love, power, desire, and death. <laughs> Do you think there's such a thing as a person for whom the only their only sexual interest is a Star Trek character or story? A sort of Trek sexual, <laughs> if you will? I believe that that's possible. I, uh, you know, I listen to the Dan Savage, uh, Savage Love podcast a lot. And uh, one thing he talks about is occasionally are people who have sexual fetishes that are impossible. Like, I only want to fuck centaurs as a, as a close at hand example. And, and like the, you know, like what a tough spot you're it really, yeah, it really reframes the waiting for the right one Yes, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Tasha Yar, a character that was on for a handful of episodes in season one, is the only one for me. That's tough. That would be a tough, a place, tough to, place to live. That's a crush made a lot tougher as the pixie haircut went out of style. <laughs> Thank you to everyone that sent something in. Uh, if you'd yeah, like thanks, to... Guys. Send something to us. 
you can uh, email us at drunkshimoda at gmail.com and uh, we give out the P.O. box to people that don't seem like lunatics. (laughs) That's a good policy. Yeah. Speaking of lunacy, Adam, do you want to get into the episode that we came here to discuss? There is so much to discuss today, Ben, (laughs) as we get into Deep Space Nine Season 6, Episode 20, His Way. Maybe the most Tin Man title we've had in a long time. (laughs) Yeah, you're really walking that. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No. Of course you don't. This episode opens in the hollow suite. We don't know that. I mean, at the opening, we just think we're in a, an old-timey version of Las Vegas, right? Yeah, maybe they, <laughs> for some reason, the Deep Space Nine crew went to that TNG planet with the weird hotel <laughs> casino and the yeah. revolving door. If you got to win, you got to hear. It seems like the, the episode calls them out, right? Because... Because when Vic Fontaine finishes his number, he comes over and, you know, gets introduced to the team. But he drags them for coming to coming to the hollow suite in uniform. Like, these guys are fucking boring as hell, right? Like, getting off work and in uniform going to socialize together. I think one of the pleasures of this episode is how self-aware Vic is about himself and other people. And I like the kind of confidence he has in just throwing it right back at like the uh what is it it's like he's throwing the gaze back at them right, right? like he's not just a hollow sweet person to be looked at and fucked like so many <laughs> hollow sweet characters he's going to flip them some shit right back he he has like a lot of dna in common with the uh with the character in the binars episode of tng what was her name Minuet. Minuet, right. Yeah, like he... Except he also has some Moriarty in him. Like yeah. some super smarts. He has some super smarts, which does make him feel a little dan- a little more dangerous than the episode treats him as. Like the fact that he's like, like <laughs> yeah. hacking systems and like showing up places he's not supposed to is semi, semi-scary stuff. And, uh, and, th- and, he never like he never causes any real danger to anyone. There's like there's a moment where Bashir is like, you know, this program is made by the great Felix, maker of of programs like like weird spy game that that you saw me play <laughs> a couple of seasons ago. Like the idea of this being like one of the great Hollow Sweet programs you yeah. can have. But I want to know if Upon booting up the Hollow Suite program, <laughs> is Vic Fontaine self-aware at that moment, or is the program started and then later on he becomes self-aware? And the reason I ask is, <laughs> if Vic Fontaine is self-aware as soon as the program starts, he's like ready to fuck, right? Trust me, he's no ordinary hologram. Because that's what a Hollow Suite program is for. Yeah, and in this episode more so than any other episode. <laughs> the way this opens though is he is uh, he is singing a number up on stage. We we you know, cut around the room a little bit. We get the wides, we get the close-ups on period appropriate audience members and then we start to find the cast hanging out at the bar, which is like definitely where I like to chill in in a room like this. 
Yep. I want access to the bartender so I can keep ordering those drinks. And the maybe my favorite shot in the episode is Odo starting to nod his head and Kira taking sincere delight in finding out that Odo likes dad music. Nodding on the one and the three. <laughs> That's what Odo's doing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's an episode that is all about calling out all the characters on this show for being the squares that they are. You know what a square is, right? That's one side of a cube. Vic does that magic trick where uh, where he comes over and he tells everyone their deal right to their face. Everyone's coupled up in this moment. Mm-hmm. And this is something that, that Vic notices right away. He, he knows that Worf and Dax are together. He knows that Bashir and O'Brien are together. He knows uh, that Kira and Odo are Diane and Sam. Right. He basically asks them, will they or won't they? Yeah, and this begins a pattern of behavior for Vic where he is sort of magically knowledgeable about people in a way that does not seem to be supported by reality in any way. Yeah. <laughs> like, the Felix programmer character is someone I'd really like to know if sure. this is how sophisticated Vic Fontaine is. Felix is a genius. Um, yeah. But there's like the wisecrackiness of Vic Fontaine takes away a lot of the malevolence that could easily be imbued in him, right? Like, right. Like, if he were to come up to you uh, with any other attitude than the attitude he has in this episode and were like, Benjamin R. Harrison, addresses this address <laughs> your your favorite things are these like it would be it'd be scary right right yeah but he's he's kind of doing i think that like a certain kind of famous person does this like casually to advance their charisma like notices a specific thing about you and compliments you on it when you mm-hmm. meet them you're like i can't believe i just talked to george clooney and he said i had a nice haircut can you fucking you know, like you'll it never forget. It makes you love them forever. You'll never forget that interaction. And right. he could count on you showing up to his movies for the rest of your life. You're you're always going to buy the biggest bottle of Casamigos <laughs> after that. <laughs> they finish their, their hang in the hollow suite, some more awkwardly than others. Odo is Odo's definitely back on his heels a little bit. And they're down in Quark's bar and uh, Dax's loose lips... Sink some ships in this scene because she she lets slip that Kira is headed to Bajor to spend some time with Shakar. The Sleep Institute of Shakar, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she uh <laughs> the uh the REM cycles that she shows there are deeper and, and more restful than anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, Kira takes great umbrage with this being uh, put out in the street the way it is, uh, as if to attempt to cover for something maybe uh, maybe untoward, maybe scandalous. Right. Her reaction here, I think, is is vital in propelling Odo down his story path here. Right. The indication that Kira may be falling back into the arms of Shakar is making him somewhat desperate. So desperate, in fact, that he seeks Quark's advice on how to to court Kira. This is after the theme, and it's really fun, the terminology that Quark uses in having this conversation with 
Odo because he's using financial terminology with him about yeah. about his lack of action, basically. You've had plenty of time to arrange a a merger with Kira. I'd say that I like the idea of this a little bit more than I like it in in execution because I don't think that a Ferengi thinks of uh, taking a mate as a merger. I think that they probably consider that more of a hostile acquisition. <laughs> right, right. Hey, I wonder to what extent Quark thoughtfully softens his, his oh, yeah. vocabulary he, he, here. You think he's doing that for Odo's benefit? Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. The big takeaway from this scene is that Odo, if if he truly did have feelings for Kira and he has not acted on them as he seems able to admit here, uh, he's 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 wasted all this time and time appears to be running out if Kira is going to go visit Shakar. Yeah. Like there's yeah. a window that's closing. Right. And luckily for him, he can turn himself into a closed window sized person <laughs> to squish into her heart. Yeah, he could he could uh, he could become paper thin and slide right mm-hmm. under the jam. <laughs> right. He asks Quark at the end of this scene a favor because if if Quark's advice is not helping him bed Kira, only one person's advice can. Of course, he learned this because Bashir mentioned that that's one of the utilities of the Vic Fontaine program is that uh, he's, he's been able to get great advice on Cherchez La Femme from Vic Fontaine. And now, and now Odo would like to seek that same advice. So, I wonder if there was ever a moment where they thought about making this program about one of the best stick men in all of Starfleet, Commander <laughs> William Riker. Oh yeah, like he plays in a in a in a jazz combo. He's not a singer, but he's uh, he's an entertaining type. And there's nothing more erotic than playing the trombone. You know what? Like as soon as I as soon as I offered the idea of this, you know, my mind clapped it shut by thinking it's wrong, Ben. It's wrong <laughs> to make a hollow sweet program featuring a real person, right? You can't do it. It's <laughs> oh, immoral. Right. I, and I think illegal. I think we've found out that it's technically illegal inside the Federation. This is a violation of protocol. Crew members should not be simulated in the holodeck. Commander, I don't think there's any regulation against... Well, there ought to be. Maybe Bajor has a slightly different set of laws. Yeah. So Odo enters the hollow suite to talk to Vic Fontaine, and Vic is more than interested in making him over immediately. Yeah. After hearing his plight. I like the effect of Odo changing his uniform into a 1950s-style tuxedo. Is that what the tie is? The lay flat tie? That's a 50s effect? That is called a neck bow, Adam. And it is, it's definitely a 50s thing, but it's kind of, it's its not a very Vegas-y 50s thing. And mm. as far as I can tell, more of like a rockabilly formal wear. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> like he was just a bolo tie and a cowboy hat away from a, yeah. a totally different look. But I think that this is like kind of... <clears throat> more 90s evening wear like like Mm. like black tie you know definitely has weird trends and like vic fontaine's shirt with a zillion buttons down the front is 
probably the most obnoxious tuxedo shirt I've ever seen. Mm. Save for like the the ones in like Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, you're not hosting Family Feud, <laughs> right? But uh, but yeah, Odo's tie is a very weird and specific choice. Their their suits are just not that good, you know. Like they're kind of right. rental tuxedo looking tuxes. There is a lot of advice that Vic Fontaine gives to Odo throughout this episode, and not all of it is terrible. Right. Uh, not all of it is problematic. Maybe the least. <laughs> what a charitable way of framing it, Adam. <laughs> uh, maybe the least of which is the advice right off the top, which is Vic sizes up Odo and he's like, you know, it may be nice if you decided to become the sort of person that people like being around for starters. Right. And by that, he means like just loosening up. He uses the the scene where where he plays at the piano with him as a as a way to get him to just kind of like if you don't know how to do something it's okay. Just have fun with with the thing that you don't know how to do and there's so many different versions of this in a person's life. You know, like where you don't need to not try a thing because you're afraid you can't do it perfectly. Right. Just try the thing and have fun with it. And if it doesn't work out, then you try something else. Like, for example, us trying to have a podcast has... Right. We we haven't gotten good at it, but we're going to keep trying. We're having fun with it. We're having fun with it. And that's what's most important. And I really like Rene Aubergenois' performance going from uneasy and worried uh, at coming across like a fraud because the piano is playing itself to really getting yeah. into playing the character of a guy who's playing great piano. There's a lot going on in this scene because it's it's Vic like trying to get Odo to understand that if you're not having fun, acting like you're having fun is a way to eventually have fun, right? Right. And and this is a thing that I think they talk about after the performance is over is Odo is like, man, that's it's crazy to be up on stage. And I would have been terrifically nervous if any of my friends or coworkers are here. But it's nice. Like you can't even see into the crowd. Yeah. Like this is a familiar feeling that I've had on stage with you before, which is like in those very early shows, it was easy to feel nervous because it was a brand new thing for us and you just yeah, hope yeah. it's fun and funny to anyone else i'm just grateful none of my friends saw me the way that odo puts it rang as especially true to me like the lights are bright you can't really see anyone out there you just try <laughs> to have a good time with your co-host and and hope it works out i think the core of the advice of if you want to be with someone try to think about how you can be a nice person to spend time with. Is, Try to think about how great. you can be withable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure that like playing fake piano is the perfect metaphor for that, but it's, I think, surprisingly good given uh, the direction that this episode goes. Right. There's not only afterwards drinks, which seem fun. You know, you get off stage, you go to the bar, you have a couple drinks. Then there's the, uh, there's the after show hang back mm -hmm. at Vic's apartment. Where uh, where he has produced two ladies, babes that caught the show and and want to come hang out. What is it with tertiary characters in Deep Space Nine that want our main characters to fuck? <laughs> <laughs> we, that happened in the uh, in the O'Brien undercover story, and it's happening here. Yeah. Would Vic have just stayed in the next room and listened to Odo fuck these women? 
I don't know because I think that like the like if you think of the program as being designed for Bashir. Oh like, yeah. Probably what would happen. Hey Vic, I'm here and I drank a gallon of water just like you asked. <laughs> right. Yeah. If the, if the if the program ran its course, it would not be champagne in those coops. Right. <laughs> but it definitely seems like there's going to be like a comedy show and dinner before yeah. there's any underpants hijinks going on. Are you classically trained? Oh, actually, uh, uh, Vic taught me everything I know. But these these ladies are these ladies are down for it, right? Melissa seems down for sure. But uh, Odo cuts that off, and uh, and we cut to work, real work, and the real world, where uh, Odo briefs Cisco on some bullshit, and then this scene is so weird. It's it's related to absolutely nothing else in the entire episode. It exists only to amuse, I think. Yeah. Odo starts absentmindedly singing to himself, and Cisco loves this. Yeah. And then joins in. No, no, they can't take that away from me. I wish they'd like harmonized a little bit more, like start because they're both kind of singing under their breath, like Cisco's snapping his fingers. And yeah. I wish on uh, the twos and the fours. I wish that <laughs> I wish they broken out in song, like come out into into ops, like see if they could get other people in on it. Like, what if we just uh, had a little singing around the office every so often? That'd be fun. That's good team building. Science fiction shows of this era had the musical episode, right? Sure. Why not this one? <laughs> Why not? Where's Joss Whedon when you need him? Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, Cisco's like cultural interests often kind of run in this era, like mm. sp- with his baseball interest and the uh, Far Beyond the Stars being another recent episode. And it starts to seem like maybe someone in the writer's room has more interest in writing a show about the 50s than they do about the 2450s or whatever this is. <laughs> You know, what's fucked up is that uh, a a person who looks like Benjamin Sisko, probably not invited to a Vegas lounge of this era, of yeah. this time, you know? I was reading a thing right before we got uh, on the mics, just happened to come across a thing about how Frank Sinatra was like one of the people that forced Vegas to stop being segregated because he refused to perform in segregated venues. Good for him. Yeah. I don't know exactly what the timing of that was, but uh but yeah, like the It was that, the 80s. Yeah, this is like an episode that like like stays completely far away from yeah. from any of those issues. But I think crucially when you cut around the the room when Vic Fontaine is performing, you're not seeing black extras. In those seats. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale, fucking pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. I don't use the bucket anymore. We're in the real world very little. Uh, We get that scene with Odo and Cisco. We get a little scene with Dax and Bashir talking about what may or may not be happening between Kira and Shikar. She and Shikar must be having a good time. That'd be my guess. And then we're back in the holosuite where Vic is excoriating Odo about 
how focused he is on Shakar as, as a thing. Vic is encouraging him to ignore the other people and concentrate on himself, on bettering right. himself. It's not about taking down the other man. It's about making yourself a better, a better option. Right. And Vic is also very pro, like, walk before you can run, practice, practice, practice. And this is when he introduces the, you know, Melissa was one kind of practice for Odo, but Vic introduces another kind of practice that's a little closer to the genuine article in the character of Lola Cristal. Ooh, just a total smoke show is yeah. Lola Cristal. Lola Cristal is wearing, like, if you translated the pizza oven killing outfit into evening wear, right. that's, the, that's the gown that Lola Cristal performs in. Lola Cristal yeah. is Bajoran, despite performing on Earth in the 50s. Yeah, the band is horrified uh, when looking at her and then just runs. Yeah, the, the upright bassist keeps stopping playing and going, what happened to your nose? Oh, my God. Ah, oh, that's scarring. My word. It's your brother, Marvin. Marvin Barry. You know that nose ridge you've been looking for? <laughs> it is a scorching rendition that uh, that actually has some meaning to uh, to Nana Visitor. Uh, I read like this was a this is a song that like she and her mom bonded with a family friend over like and she wanted to like like she sort of conjured those memories up in order to to perform it in the way that she does uh, like for all of the many positives of a performance like this you yeah. you also have the the heavier negative Ben which is the illusion of of consensual imagery in a hollow suite and the idea of hollow suite law right this is a F leah brahms situation a brewing yeah. i'm guilty of a terrible crime doctor odo is quite uncomfortable initially like she, she is performing the hell out of this song and you know is an incredibly tempting lady in in doing that it's right. a very sexy performance and Vic Fontaine is kind of like pushing their heads together and going like, now kiss. And Odo kind of backs away from it initially, you know, to his credit, I want to say. Right. It's it's the sort of discomfort that isn't specific. Like, I, you understand his discomfort is because this is supposed to be her and isn't. But mm -hmm. there is no reference to the morality of a moment like this. It's his own personal relationship to what is moral and what isn't versus an idea that Vic Fontaine doesn't know right from wrong when doing things beginning yeah. now. <laughs> and that's, right. I think, when, when you start to feel uh, that with Vic Fontaine's great power comes zero responsibility. Totally. Yeah. You're like, Jesus, Bashir, did you meet Felix on like 4chan? Is, right. is, is he a, primarily a deep fakes author? Yeah. This is the second time in a row where Vic Fontaine has tried to make something physical happen between Odo and someone conjured out of the holodeck. And Odo, again, 
turns it down. He storms out. He's tired of the holograms. This is a Star Trek moment that we've seen a few times, right? Where a a woman is offered to a male character who is so like oversexed that he that he you know pushes her away because th- this is not the real thing and it's not right going to be satisfying on that level. I don't need your fantasy women. But it is like yeah, like it's it's weird that the episode like asks Nana visitor to portray a version of her character that is like this, you know. Like that's that's some pretty creepy stuff for a writer's room to to put in a script, I think. I agree. Cuz like yeah. this, is their, this is their coworker, you know, like do this extremely sexy thing so we can all watch you do it. It doesn't feel great to see that and it doesn't forgive the moment by having Odo reject it. I don't think. Not all the way anyway. Yeah. He he uh I I don't think we're catching up with him like immediately after this, but the next scene is Odo uh, bumping into Kira after her trip to Bajor and she is out of uniform. She's in civilian clothing, which I think is a is a great costuming choice in this moment because if her trip was an entirely professional thing, she might have gone and come back in uniform. But the fact that she's not in uniform sort of puts us in the headspace of, oh, she was on vacation. Right. She's wearing two sleeve of wizard uh, (laughs) as a dress. (laughs) It was the style of the time. She's got to be constantly rolling those things up if she wants to have a drink or something. Look, look at this cuff. And it's flopping all over the place. Look at that. Uh, It's awkward, though, this meeting between Odo and Kira, because Odo knows something that Kira does not, and that is he was just hanging out with her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, a... He was just jacking off to a photo of her (laughs) and, uh, and then ran into her immediately after. Right. Kira has traditionally been a character that basically couldn't be caught dead in the hollow suites, but has apparently in the off-screen story arc uh, taken to setting up a a prayer cave of some kind in the hollow suites. And uh, her next scene is hanging out in this uh, in this like meditation room full of candles praying when uh, Vic Fontaine, without her consent, crucially, <laughs> enters the program this is where i i think it's easy when you're watching an episode to just sort of guess at its ending and Uh this is really the moment where i where i began to feel like vic fontaine has been constructed to give you the nice face but the totally evil back face like like he could be a threat to people and this is a moment where I started to feel that way. Like he's he's going where he's not invited. Yeah. And he's starting to manipulate for his own ends in a way that Moriarty did. Right. It's very interesting that the like I think we have our our moral complaints about what Vic Fontaine does in this episode, but it's interesting that they never take it in the direction of like now Vic Fontaine is presenting a crisis on the station because his program has run amok. This is the moment where Kira should have gone into Cisco's office and been like, hey, did you know that we might have a Moriarty situation here? Yeah. And then like getting Quark in trouble because like there's some safety 
device that he like turned off because it would save him like two percent on his electricity bill or something like that it's not just the invasion of a private space by a character that is creepy it is the meddling between two people's affairs that that Vic Fontaine does here because he begins telling Kira all about the Odo that he knows that Kira couldn't possibly know and that uh and that I think you'd really like having dinner with him tonight and implies that he was sent to make this invitation on Odo's behalf right are you trying to parent trap us so she kind of grudgingly agrees to it but um you know <laughs> I think I think if you're curious, you've got to turn this invitation down when it is presented in such an invasive way. When did you can't take no for an answer stop being a thing? Yeah. Because that is a quality of seduction that like I remember that being said in movies and TV shows over and over and over again as a you know what, like, like you just got to meet like <laughs> a movable object with enough force. Right. Not taking no for an answer is that force. Yeah. I'm glad that that's gone out of style, but when did that happen? It definitely bumped me in this episode. Yeah. I think that there's a, uh, there's probably like an American studies dissertation in that question yeah. somewhere. There was a moment it became a threat. I'm right. not sure when that was. But it, yeah. it did not predate this episode. So, so like Kira a, turns this down and the next morning she wakes up and there's a horse head in her bed. And she finally agrees to do the date. Right. Is it less creepy that this is happening without Odo's knowledge? I think it has to be yes. Yeah, it's it takes it takes a large amount of the creep factor away from Odo. If Odo triggered this moment, I almost believe his character is not redeemable yeah. in in this episode. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing the way this it's it's almost unbelievable the way this episode unfolds after this cuz he gets the he gets a a call in his office. Uh, Vic Fontaine comes through the comms. I told you never to call me on this wall. This is an unlisted wall. And is told like you're going to go on a date with a perfect holographic facsimile of Kira and uh, this is going to be your your final training for the mm-hmm. real event and if you can snatch the Kira from my hand you can leave the temple <laughs> yeah enough waxing off right <laughs> let's go let's go see if we can take down cobra kai this is another malevolent move by Vic because he's not just creating circumstances and manipulating people. He's actually lying mm-hmm. to to real people. He's lying to Odo here. He's lying to Odo, but he's also telling Odo about a bad thing that Odo is going to go participate in, and Odo agrees yeah. to it. Like, like the, he's lying to Odo not to present Odo a a moral version of what's going on. Like simulating the girl you have a crush on in the hollow suite is not is not okay. <laughs> you remember how uncomfortable you were with with hollow Kira before? Well, we've made some improvements. <laughs> <laughs> Let's watch what happens. What are you doing now? Ow! 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 
he forces a level one Brahms event, and yeah. we get this date. It is Odo across from Kira, and all gussied up in in their evening wear in the hollow suite, and. The wheels come off the wagon when Odo starts to kind of like under his breath go like, nice move, Vic. You really nailed it with the verisimilitude. And they they both realize what has happened, and it is incredibly embarrassing for both of them. You've been dancing with the real McCoy. You tricked me. And me. My eyes may be tricking me. It's embarrassing, but it's in its way, it's also tragic. In in the way that the writer wants it to be, it is also tragic. Because right. you see how Odo could have been in a circumstance where he was less uh, he was less shy and unafraid about presenting his true feelings to a person. Yeah. It's that it's he actually manages to do those things and then a personal victory for him. And I'm and by that I mean not at the expense of Kira, but I mean like he's actually had a growth moment for his character, being able to share himself in that way. Yeah, get a little vulnerable. Yeah, it's destroyed in this moment. It sort of undercuts the premise of the episode that Vic Fontaine is some genius of love, too, because right. it it really ex- exposes what a creepy thing this was and also sort of makes you believe that their chances have been dashed, right? Like they probably won't get together after such a creepy thing happened on their first date. I feel like Vic is creepy because he presents as human instead of as computer. Like, I wonder to what extent he becomes less creepy if he's more like the Whopper from War Games, where he's like, <laughs> we're going to go into uh, into Odo date level two. Shall we play a game? And then see what happens. And then level three. And then, like, if we were to, uh, to depersonalize this, and I'm not saying, like, make it not Kira. It could still be Kira, but... If Vic were more prescriptive in how computer-like he's making all of these hoops that Odo is jumping through, would that make it less creepy than it is? Because I think Vic acting so human and projecting that sort of humanity is what makes him the terribly flawed human, the the disturbing human that we project onto him. Right. It's... Uh... Like, the thing about the Cyrano de Bergerac story is that, like... Which, crucially, they did a version of with Lieutenant Barkley in TNG. I I feel like that was... What, what did this and didn't this show learn from that episode is something that I thought about at this exact moment in, 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 in his way, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, this um, we're going to wear our love interest down until they relent mentality has been such a part of romantic stories for such a long time. Mm -hmm. And I think it still kind of is like there's like we don't like it in real life, but for some reason it's an extremely powerful story structure in our myths. And I, I wonder what that's about. I think you see it more and more with the gender roles reversed, which has been, I mean, I don't know if it makes it better, but representatively, I think there have been improvements, I guess. (laughs) But, but boy, this, this date, this date is rough and the intensity with which Kira furrows her brow is like an enduring 
visual for me like she knits it and then she never stops for the rest of the episode i feel like the needle pegging embarrassment that they end this date with is matched only by the embarrassment i feel at having a star trek podcast with my friend adam yeah we know exactly how this feels (laughs) i've got you under my skin is such a fucked up song to sing to odo specifically right (laughs) i mean i could I could literally put her under my skin. I could make skin and then have her under it. I've only got gold under my skin. Gold goop. (laughs) Yeah. Kira is the one that's called it a date the whole time. And I think that's an interesting aspect to this thing. That's a word that I don't think Odo really uses, or at least uses first. Mm -hmm. Which I think tells us how game Kira is for the idea of this being that way. And that's another way it gets the creep factor off the hook. Yeah, right. Because it would be one thing if Kira was super not into Odo, but the fact that she is so into Odo that she's willing to forgive what happened (laughs) makes it, does does go a long way to making this less bad. Right. And uh, yeah, so so she... uh, she confesses to Dax like maybe the next day on the promenade that she's had a a moment of clarity and uh, that turns into her chasing Odo down down the way and uh, they kind of get into an argument that resolves in a in a big fat smooch why don't I just get it over with and kiss you right now well why don't you this is a scene that only uh, a man would write I think (laughs) because this is a to K as far as the story goes, where, where were we previously? We were on, we were in a hollow suite where things were at their worst. The path back to makeouts is so short. It's astonishingly short. It's, it's incredible. Right. And I know we're meant to feel catharsis from this. We're, we're meant to feel like uh, like we've just watched John Krasinski and the secretary from The Office kiss. Like, we're supposed to feel like- Jim like and that. Pam? <laughs> yeah. This, is this our Jim and Pam? Right. Moment? Yeah. Our, our Sam and Diane moment? Yeah, it's- um, The show thinks it is. It does. I kind of think that the editor thinks it's absurd, though, because they- they start kissing and the camera immediately cuts to Quirk going like, oh, <laughs> yeah, like, like I think that I think that uh, some of the people involved with this saw how how silly it was. Yeah. I mean, like the catharsis is somewhat satisfying on the basis that you can tell that the characters do really like each other. And it has been something that the show has been leading up to for a long time. It just feels like the episode took a big fat shortcut at the end to get there. I agree completely. Yeah. The button may be the part that strains credulity the most because Odo comes back to thank Vic Fontaine. Thanks, Vic. <laughs> that really could have gone terribly, but it didn't. So, um, uh, thank you, I guess. In basically any other century than this one. People would have cringed and never stopped. <laughs> I've, I've been trying to th- figure out how I could put handcuffs on a honey stick, and I, I can't figure out a way to do it. 
So I guess I'm just going to leave you in this honey stick. Vic Fontaine's Come Fly With Me into credits is what we get. And we are left to decide whether or not we liked the episode, Ben. You really want to do this here? Now, okay, okay, let's do it, do it. Did you like the episode? Boy, there's a lot I do like about it. It's not a total clusterfuck. And I think that it's like kind of a product of its time, you know? It's not like... It's not like other shows were not doing creepy shit like this right. in uh, 1995 or 96 or whatever. Right. Because I like medium like it. Like Vic Fontaine as a character is a lot of fun. I mean, it's amazing to me that he is introduced in episode 20 of the second to last season of this show because I feel like he really looms large over my memory of what Deep Space Nine is all about. Huh. And you can see why they saw this guy playing this part and we're like, we got to have this guy back because his charisma is undeniable. But the storyline that they use that charisma for does not age well. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's pretty well put. If this show were hosted by a couple of virtue signaling simps, I think, (laughs) I think your, your take on the episode would be more simplistic than I think we're doing right here. I think this isn't a musical, right? Right. But the musical aspects of it give it a magical reality that I think hypnotizes you into not being as hard on it as maybe one could or should be. I think the way I'm going to come down on this episode is that I think Nana Visitor is a great actor. And I think you're taking advantage of her greatness by by writing something like this that is not grounded in a character's reality as we know it and depending on her to sell it. Yeah. Which she does. She utterly does because that's all she can do. She can sell water to a well, man. She's fucking incredible. I think she makes you forget how much effort it takes to do an episode like this when I'm not sure she's a believer. Yeah. And I know in what little this is this is such an outlier of an episode to me. I I really wanted to know what Rene Aubergenois and the Navisator thought about this. Mm-hmm. And both of them disagreed with this path to their characters. Wow. And it is so I understand that the the hubris that a showrunner has. I really do. I get the idea that Iris Stephen Bayer would 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 write the story and go this is this is true this is what i believe to be the truth of these characters but i think you need to listen to your actors a little bit yeah if they say that this isn't it and this ain't it ira i think that this episode is artfully and interestingly done i'm unclear on what the message is yeah to it and this isn't a show about messages but like is it about confession and honesty being a way towards the towards making strong relationships with people you care about that's the thing right like some of the advice at the beginning of the episode is so good be vulnerable and they, tell her how you feel bury it be fun they, to be around and then yeah. all of that is pushed to the side so that there can be this like the world's creepiest parent trap as a as a plot device. <laughs> yeah. One last thing I'll say is that 
you see this only through Odo's perspective, and that's what makes the jump at the end so difficult to believe, right? Mm -hmm. This is all about what Odo wants. And I would really... This is this is an example of Kira's character being underserved the entire series. Right. We've known her for six seasons, almost seven seasons by now. I could not tell you what type of person Kira Norris is interested in, what type of person would make her happy. If I were to to build a character <laughs> that I would want her to fall in love with, I have no idea where to begin there. Right. The real advice that Vic Fontaine should be giving Odo is be more boring. That's the kind of man she obviously likes. <laughs> I really, I wonder if we'll ever know that much about Kira, as much about her as, as we should know for a co-star of this show yeah. she's up there with avery brooks like she's the fucking star how much how much less do we know about her than than cisco i don't know i think this is an episode that's emblematic of of that problem but i but again i'm with you not not a bad episode just a thought-provoking episode in some ways i'm also curious to find out what kind of person sends a p1 to the greatest generation a real sick fuck, that's who. <laughs> I mean, is your P1 about honesty and showing us who you are? Or is it some sort some form of manipulation, Ben? That's what I want to know. Yeah. We're going to find out. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, a couple of priority one messages here. The first one is from Lord Rat, and it's to Gabe. It says, I may be stranded in a politically unstable second world country, but I can still set money on fire with the best of them. I'm happy you started listening to this pod so that you know why I say ankylosaur so much. Ankylosaur? Ankylosaur. I hope this message makes sense since I'm day drunk as I'm writing this. Anyway, cheers to my BFF. Take care over there. Ankle. I have no problem pronouncing the word ankle. Why do I have such a hard time with ankylosaur? <laughs> the world may never know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I think we're all going to be uh, lighting our money on fire for warmth any day now. So yeah. I wouldn't be so confident, Lord Rat. Lord Rat is, has the has the day drunk confidence that when they uh, when they were asked to fill out what date they're requesting for their P one, they wrote whenever yo. Nice. <laughs> I like the cut of Lord Rat's jib. <laughs> then our second priority one message comes from Olivia, aka. Micah, and the message is to Olga. Message goes like this. Here's a holodeck message for my sweetest ensign. When you were young, we spent a lot of time separated, but one of my happiest memories was watching TNG with you. Are you hearing this embarrassing pod in the kitchen right now? <laughs> are we making pizza? Only time knows. You are loved, Olga. Never stop exploring. Wow. Making pizza at home is something that is so much input, but the but the rewards are incalculable. This has been a, a hobby that my wife has taken up lately. I think we're we're gonna make our third pizza of the week. Wow, tomorrow. 
That is a, that's a lot of pizza. You just make up a bunch of dough. You make up all the dough and then you just segment it into, into three or four and then you're set for the week. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to live. Well, if, uh, if you want to live uh, with a priority one message in our inbox, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message or 200 for a commercial message. And we really appreciate it. Gotta get that, get that gold press action. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. 
The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's up, man? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I like the guy who works at Quark's Bar who drops his little uh, menu device on the ground when he watches Kira and Odo kiss. I felt like that guy. <laughs> Big time. Yeah, that guy that guy caught my eye too. And my drunk Shimoda is actually from the same scene because we do get mm-hmm. like a cut around of everybody reacting to this to this very public display of affection. And uh there is a character that I think is standing near Dax, I wanna say. I gotta scrub to it. He kinda looks like a Cenobite. Yeah. Anyway, he's got like three fingered hands, but also kind of like uh kind of like pinhead looking loaf. And uh, his his gasp really made me laugh. Uh, so gasping Cenobite, I guess, is my <laughs> is my drunk Shimoda. Wow, everyone just blown away <laughs> by this kiss cute. Yeah, like God, are we going to get empty an entire out Quark's season? Bar, morning, and everybody gets up and goes to the door to see what's happening. I already can't wait until they break up. <laughs> ben, is that going to happen in the next episode? I'd like to know. <laughs> the next episode is season six, episode 21, The Reckoning. Oh, good. It sounds like a, the title of a breakup episode. <laughs> awesome. Cisco must risk his son's life to fulfill his role as the emissary. Damn. That is not the kind of reckoning I was picturing. That's some real Old Testament prophets shit right there, right? No kidding. Time to time to sacrifice your for some reason Jake. <laughs> get in get in good with the gods. How many episodes since Jake was in an episode? It seems like a lot. Yeah. Like Far yeah. Beyond the Stars maybe the last one I can think of that he did anything in? Yeah, and for some reason Jake died in that one. Oh yeah. Huh. <laughs> Well, in a uh, while. I'm looking forward to that, and I'm also looking forward to firing up the game of buttholes, Will of the Prophets, to find out how we will be consuming that episode. Our runabout is currently on square 74, and there is an instagree square off in the distance. That is the episode format that forces us to do extensive research. Everybody's favorite version of our show the extensively researched version right famously no one comes to greatest gen for the most researched star trek podcastery you get what you get you're required to learn as you play roll i'm gonna go ahead and roll this bone adam see what we get Did I win? Hardly. I have rolled a two, so we've jumped to square 76. A regular episode next week on The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine.
All right. I'm really wondering how long this relationship's going to last, Ben. And I'm not talking about the one between you and me. I'm, I mean, is this the rest of the series? I can't remember. Maybe you, should, you shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't answer that. We'll find out as we go. No spoilers. I'm gonna. I'm gonna need a lot of canar to get through the rest of this series, if that's the case. Well, Adam, what we need to get through this show is the support of our listeners who go to maximumfun.org slash join and support on a monthly basis. It's really easy and it's not very painful. Uh, we got to thank our buddy Adam Ragusia who made trade... Who- <laughs> he didn't make trading cards. Who made the original... He makes food trading cards on YouTube. <laughs> he made the original theme music of the show. The the Cisco song, of course, based on Dark Materia's original Picard song. Uh, we appreciate both of them for letting us use their beautiful, beautiful music. Bill Tilly's a, a ray of light on Twitter. You can find him at Bill Tilly 1973 He makes comedy trading cards about every episode that we do. That he does. Uh, keeps us laughing, keeps us thinking. Sometimes keeps us crying. Yeah. Yeah, we appreciate him a great deal. Yeah, we uh, appreciate everybody that uh, tweets about the show or, uh, you know, recommends it to a friend or leaves a nice review on Apple Podcasts. If you leave a five-star review and ask a question in it, we might answer it on an upcoming episode of the program. Ask us a question. Come on. Come on. (laughs) With that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine in which I have become the Odo (laughs) of several episodes ago. I'm watching Kira with another man. (laughs) Don't like it. I'm going to go to a hollow suite and jack off. (laughs) Wow. You're going to fill that hollow suite up. Going number three in there. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.